0: Hey, How's it going out there, everybody? Welcome to the Drum Shuffle. Jamie Eads joining you as I do each and every week. This is episode 102. I hope everybody's having a fantastic week out there. Uh, Life is starting to return to a little bit more normalcy. Uh, At least it is over here in... uh, the fine bluegrass state. Some things are starting to reopen. Um, This is just such a confusing time. Um, You you don't know uh, who to listen to, what's going on, what's right. I just, uh, it's my sincere wish for each and every one of you that you're staying safe, staying healthy, and hopefully we can all get back to a full, normal life and schedule here real, real soon. We have a fantastic interview for you today. One of my all-time favorite drummers, one of the biggest influences ever in my life. I'm gonna be joined by the great Troy Laketta right after this message from our sponsor, Los Cabos Drumsticks. The best kept secret for drummers is finally out. Los Cabos Drumsticks may look like the sticks you grew up with, but these are not your father's drumsticks. Los Cabos Drumsticks is Canada's number one drumstick brand and they are coming to a retailer near you. With operations in over 28 countries worldwide, thousands of drummers have already discovered the Los Cabos difference. Using FSC certified wood from Canada and the US, Los Cabos make the finest quality drumsticks, percussion tools, and accessories on the market. The best news, Los Cabos Drumsticks offers you a ton of choice. They have 22 individual drumstick models and 14 percussion tools, many of which are available in three different wood types, maple, white hickory, and red hickory. Red hickory comes from the center, or heart, of the hickory tree and has been independently proven to be both stronger and more elastic than white hickory without adding a lot of weight. While most drumstick manufacturers have shunned Red Hickory, Los Cabos Drumsticks has embraced it, becoming the only established stick brand in the world to offer a full line of Red Hickory drumsticks. To learn more about Los Cabos Drumsticks, visit them online at loscabosdrumsticks.com, follow them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and don't forget to ask for Los Cabos Drumsticks at your favorite retailer. Dare to be different. Join the Red Hickory Revolution with Los Cabos Drumsticks. All right, guys and girls, as I mentioned, we're going to be joined by Troy Lucchetta of Tesla here in just a moment. Um, I, I just have to say, when I was a young drummer, uh, Tesla was uh, really coming into their own uh, when I was a youngster, you know one of the first records that I ever bought with my own money, was the great Radio controversy. Uh, that is a, a absolutely true story. And that record, which was their second record, is one of my 10 Desert Island records. If I were forced to go into exile, that is absolutely one of the albums that I would take with me. It is a masterpiece from start to finish. I was such a Tesla fan that when the studio that they recorded their first few albums at up in New York called Bearsville Studio, when they closed down, I actually tried to bid on some of the equipment that they were auctioning off just so I could have a piece of equipment that Tesla recorded with. Uh, Huge Tesla fan. Uh, And Troy Luchetta has certainly been just a huge influence on me in my life Um, And and let's not forget that these guys practically invented MTV Unplugged. Um, That became all the rage after they released Five Man Acoustical Jam. Um, This band has just been hugely influential on countless musicians. Um, Their music is just fantastic. And a lot of that is credit to Troy Lucheta's magical music. And musical drumming, uh, just a superhuman being. He's always one of the first guys to offer his time for charitable causes. We talked to him a little bit about Troy shows up uh, where he's working with kids in schools, and you know, talking about how uh, you know his personal journey has uh, shaped him into the man that he is. So. Without further ado, I want to get to the interview, but this one was very, very special to me. Um, They say, don't ever meet your heroes. I can tell you that is certainly not true in this case. It was just such an honor for me to have him on the drum shuffle. Help me welcome Troy Luchetta. Good morning, Troy. How are you, sir?
1: I'm fantastic. How are you, Jamie?
0: Man, I can't complain at all. Uh, Firstly, let me just say, uh, I am going to go total fanboy mode here for just a second. Thank you so, so much for being on the drum shuffle. We all have our Mount Rushmore of drummers, and you are one of my four guys that I would put on the Mount Rushmore of, of influences to me. So thank you so much.
1: Oh, that's huge, man. That's a that's a big deal and thank you. (laughs) Uh, Very kind very kind.
0: No, no, no. it's very sincere. Um, you know, I I would have to say, you know, you, uh, Tommy Lee, uh Rod Morgenstein, the great Rod Morgenstein, and John Bonham are the four guys that I point to that made me the drummer I am. So Uh, It it comes from a very sincere place. So thanks so much for doing this. I've been waiting on this one a long time.
1: Oh, good, man. Well, uh, again, that you hold me in high regards, and I appreciate that. I don't take it lightly.
0: (laughs) Well, I appreciate you saying so. Um, Troy, I I know there's a lot of information out there on your early years, but just for my listeners, uh, if you'll indulge me. Um, you know, you, you were born and I, I guess grew up in the Bay area. Lodi, I think specifically is where you were born. Talk to me about your early years and, and how you got into drumming originally.
1: Well, um, uh, great question. Um, yeah, I was born in Lodi and I lived in Dublin, California, which was probably an hour from Lodi, which is the Bay area and Northern California. So, uh, you know, I was probably, I don't know, and, you know, about 10 on when I started getting interested in drums and my mom had records. I used to listen to her records and, you know, I had a little cassette player I, I remember walking down the street with and playing these cassettes and, um I didn't have any drums. Uh, a buddy of mine had come over to the house and asked me to come up to his his place, and they had a snare drum in the garage. And he, you know, the short story is, he basically was myself and, and and I think there was three of us in the garage, and we just stood around the snare drum and looked at it. And uh, <laughs> they handed me a, they handed me a pair of spoons, and they go, "Well, you know, kind of like." Well, go ahead, play it. <laughs> and uh, I remember because they knew I wanted to play drums, and I and you know when I think about this story, it's so amazing to me to think about what had happened next because I remember just you know being that age and and I grabbed those spoons and I played Wipeout, you know. And <laughs> um, that's awesome. <laughs> and, and, and I remember their face lit up like a Christmas tree, and so did mine. You know, just like wow, that worked. You know, kind of thing. And uh, just because I hear could hear it and play it, you know, yeah, not a big, not a big deal, but but kind of a big deal, you know. Um, I guess it was huge when I think about it. Um, but you know, obviously wipeouts, wipeout. Uh, but uh, at any rate, so that. Led me to my paper routes, three of them, uh, being the addict that I am. And I say that with 26 years of sobriety, by the way. Yeah. Um, but, but being that guy, one paper route wasn't enough. So, um, <laughs> you know, let's get three and let's get some drums. Yeah. And I, I did buy my first set of drums on my own, 55 Dollars, a set of crest. It came with uh, no hi hat, but it had a snare, one rack, bass drum, and one cymbal mounted on the bass drum. And that was my drum kit. Later, I got a hi hat, and uh, I started playing the records. And that's how I got started.
0: That's so awesome. And you know, I mean, I've read you know other interviews that you've done over the years. I know that Mitch Mitchell was a huge influence on you as a youngster. Um, I, I know you've mentioned Bonham. Um, you've mentioned, uh, Steve Gadd as an early influence. Were you, I guess once you got started, once you bought your first kit, were you immediately, you know, you said you started playing along with records, but did you take lessons or were you immediately just, I'm going to learn how to do this and start forming bands, which, which path did you take?
1: Uh, the path I took was <laughs> the path of least resistance at that <laughs> time for me, was just get on the drums and start hitting them, which I had no clue, no lessons. Um, the first song I ever played was uh, Proud Mary by Ike and Tina Turner. Nice. And I remember learning that song and playing it, my version, and my mom's friends would come over and she'd ask me to play for them. and. I didn't want to play because I was kind of shy. And then I'd play, and then they couldn't get me off the drums. And it's like, can you get that kid to leave for a little while so we can visit? You know? uh, that's, but, um, you know, it was like after you got going, it's like that's all you wanted to do, you know. And that was my story. But I, I started playing to records. My brother had records, my sister, my mom, and I didn't have any records. But, you know, yeah, uh, I started playing to Credence. Clearwater, and I started playing to uh, Jimi Hendrix. I mean, Are You Experienced? I mean, that was a big one for me. Um, you know, had Iron Man, uh, I, I, you know, with uh, some of the Black Sabbath stuff. Uh, my brother had, you know, had, sure, I was listening to Led's Up and all that stuff, but you know, that stuff all kind of came you know, as a byproduct. Um, and, and then over the years, you know, I I was 15 years old is when I really got in my first band and I started playing with guys that were older than me, but you know, they were smoking a lot of pot and getting me high during, you know, playing and like passing a joint around and I'm like, "Yeah, this isn't good. So I ended up quitting. Um, but you know, that was my introduction to not, you know, just not to go down that road. Right. You know, I mean, it's reality. It's what happened, you know. uh, But at any rate, you know, I started playing in bands and getting in original bands and continued um, listening to records and playing music. And it wasn't until my late teens where I met a guy named Steve Bellino, who was the brother of Keith Bellino, who was the bass player in this band that I played in. And I'd go to his house, and I'd always hear him practicing. And he always had. It seemed like he was—he was a big Jeff Bacaro fan. So at that time, it wasn't Toto; it was actually Boss Gags, yeah. a record called Silk Degrees, which, you know. And uh, so I get with him, and he started taking me through Ted Reed's incubation, and taught me how to do a double stroke roll. We got on practice pads, and that started my technique so to speak to where things started to change because i was a basher uh and just played from the heart which has served me well by the way um and you know just and then and then moving forward over the years uh, in bands in and out of bands you know and making records with eric martin band was the first record i recorded which was i was 23 you know and um that's a singer for the band, Mr. Big. And, uh, any anyway, rate, that was before Tesla. And then the Tesla thing started up, but, you know, but I'd always continue with education and, and, you know, and find a balance between studying on my own or with guys, no school, no formal, you know, um, training in that sense. But I've developed a, quite a bit of technique over the years paying attention, you know, yeah. and being interested in trying to get, you know, I'm not a huge reader, but, uh, yeah, I can read. Um, but to put charts in front of me and you know what, today, I think that's getting ready to change because I'm ready to really dig in more on that issue. Um, with the reading and the writing thing, you know, I've been very blessed to have accomplished some things without the reading like recording with Keith Emerson with the full orchestra, you know, um, and, 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 you know, that, that was probably one of the highest achievements recording wise. And you have to have some experience to obviously jump in and do that. Yeah. And we, we, recorded a lot of old ELP stuff. We went to Germany and recorded with 70 piece orchestra. And I don't know if you're aware of that or not, but point being, um, you know, so I have some information is my point right. um, and some some things that I have studied and learned over the years. But I am a self-taught player. So
0: Yeah. And, and you know, I think I, I think there's two different schools here. I mean, I'm a self-taught player as well, you know, and the the lessons that I've had in my life and my playing life. Is watching great players like you and and, <laughs> and stealing fills and, you know, all things things like that, you know, um, mm-hmm. it, it, there are other guys, you know, that they grew up and they, they got that formal education. And I say all this to say there's not one right way to be a great player. I mean, there, there's no. there's not one path that you have to take. And, you know, you mentioned something there coming through your history that I, I think a lot of people, they, they maybe just kind of know the detail of it, you, you know, the, the fact. And that's you were in the Eric Martin band prior to Tesla. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is, you know, that project was, on the verge of of major success i mean you guys you know toured with bands like journey and and foreigner and you know huge bands of that time um so it, it i guess lightning struck twice for you is is that a fair statement
1: yeah it actually is because um yeah we were managed by herbie herbert who managed journey and i i was rehearsing in the journey warehouse when i was 23 and and I had my set of Gretches I recorded the first record with. And then Steve Smith had lent me uh, one of his sonar kits that I took on a couple other tracks that we ended up recording. And uh, I developed a relationship, you know, with him, uh, which was huge at a young age. And um, yeah, so I think when the band broke up when I was 23, I had just enough information and success and but never made any money and when the band broke up and herbie took eric solo i mean i i it was interesting i couldn't have been happier at the time you you know i remember the band being a little disappointed in some some of the people and i think seeing the looks on their and i drove across the bay bridge coming home and the band had just broke up lost our record deal after the first and i was super happy <laughs> and um I, and i went to work and uh and and I just knew that I wanted to be part of a band again, you know. And when the Tesla thing came around, and Dwayne Hitchings was over at Eddie Money's house in, in Oakland, and I lived in San Leandro just down the road, 20 minutes, and he came over to the house and played me this demo of this band he was working with, which was City Kid, which is the same band, Tesla. And he had a demo, and I heard Jeff's voice, and, you know, I thought, hmm, I'm going to check this out. And, and yeah, so... And at the time, I guess he was at Eddie's house, and we were on the road, Eric Martin Band, with Eddie, and I guess Eddie had inquired about me because his drummer, Gary Ferguson, who became a friend of mine when we were on the road, was leaving, and uh, there was an opportunity for me to take that other path. Um, it was a salary, 750 a week. I knew what it was paying and I just wanted to be in a band, man, and uh that was kind of a game changer for me, you know, because I was like, Man, I wanna be in a band, you know, I don't want to be a side guy. But it was flattering to know that there was some interest to, and I even didn't even believe in myself enough probably to think I could have gotten the gig. Yeah. You know. But people would see things inside of me that I didn't see in myself in terms of my confidence level, they see me as something but, you know, because I was looking at Gad and Percaro and those guys, you know, I couldn't see anything in myself because I knew who the real guys were. And I certainly wasn't one of those guys. Um, but even Steve Smith, you know, we were out on the road in Hawaii with Journey at the time on the Frontiers tour. We were doing five nights at the Blaisdell Center, sold out, opening. And, you know, he grabbed me one day and he took me out and he, he said, hey, man, I got a gig for you. And I I didn't know what he was talking about. I'm like, a gig, man. I'm out here with Eric Martin, (laughs) band. We got a record deal. What are you talking about? You got a gig for me. But he had just come off recording with Brian Adams, and he had recorded um, Heaven, I think it was. Oh, wow. And Frankie LaRocca was the drummer, and he wanted to call Brian and tell Brian that he had a drummer and he believed I was the guy, and I thought that was huge that he saw me that way, and I didn't see myself that way. I declined on that offer, and it was just so sweet of Steve to think of me that way. I don't even know if he would remember it to this day, but that happened,
0: and, you know... That's a huge vote of confidence. uh, I mean... You know, when somebody like Steve Smith is, you know, is trying to fix you up, that's that's huge, man.
1: He, 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 he sat behind me every night and would watch me play, you know, and obviously watching him. Um, so, at any rate, thinking about that, um, it, it brings up a lot for me, uh, but... Yeah, that that was that was a crossroads, you know, and that was, uh, again, a game changer. I wanted to be in a band and, you know, and and I, and I went that route and it worked out for me. And I always felt like I was the missing link for those guys when I seen them. I, and I knew we were going to do exactly what we did. I mean, that's the crazy part. When I joined them, I had a gut feeling. I was like, oh, we're doing this. This is happening. You know, I knew who the bands that were happening, which was Motley, Quiet Riot, and all these 80s bands that were taking off. And I thought, well, we're going to do this. You know, this is going to work, you know, and uh, it did, you know, and I say that humbly now, (laughs) but I had a, there was a sense. It's interesting here. I had those feelings about myself of inadequacy and not measuring up, but at the same time I had enough confidence in what I was doing and the choice I was making, knowing I was the drummer for those guys.
0: Yeah. Well, well, and look, it goes without saying, you know, the, the first you know, dare I say it, four Tesla records, Um, you know, the first one, um, you know, Mechanical Resonance is just pillar to post a great record. And, you know, a, a lot of people, a lot of bands, their first record is fantastic because they've had their entire life to write those songs and they've had years and years to perfect those songs. So when they go in the studio with, you know, great producers like, you know, in your guy's case, you know, Barbiero and Thompson, um, you know, a a lot of times that first record is so good. Then the second record comes around, you know, you've been on tour for a year, 15 months, whatever the case, and you've had Mm -hmm. to write that second record. A lot of bands suffer the sophomore slump. And dare I say it, the great radio controversy, the second record that Tesla put out is one of my Desert Island records. Like if, if I had to go live in solitude the rest of my life and I was allowed to take 10 CDs with me, The Great Radio Controversy would absolutely be one of them. It is a just a masterpiece in my opinion. So mm-hmm. you guys had something that the other bands didn't have, and I'm not trying to take anything away from anybody, but your all's substance was deeper than most of your contemporaries in the mid, late 80s and, and early 90s, you know, even with Psychotic Supper. You guys weren't just writing party songs and, hey, baby, you know, let's go on a date and, and all that stupid crap. You know, you guys had some substance about your songs. Is that just a personal reflection or was that calculated?
1: No, I think it was just personal growth and what we were doing and who we were as a band because um, we all had the same interests and we knew we couldn't compete and with even, you know, the hair bands and, and you know, the stuff that didn't happen for us. We were just a blue-collar band, you know, yeah. and Jeff was writing deep stuff, man, and, um, you know, and, and the muse, I don't know, man, it was just... It's kind of interesting looking back, you know, at it, um, to think about what it is. And, yeah, the legacy behind us is very cool. I'm very proud of it. And uh, and, and there was something happening that was, you know, I remember, I think it was in our, Nikki Six. He um, was in an interview, and he was talking about Tesla, something about those tomato farmer dudes from Sacramento, right? <laughs> uh, and it really sums it up, you know. because you know i mean as much as everybody loves the band uh you know and respects the band i mean you know that that was huge i mean man i next thing i first album comes out next thing i know tommy leaves at my house i'm like (laughs) i mean obviously i i didn't call him you know and i don't know how that exactly happened when they came into town maybe it was and You know, I remember him coming over the house and thinking like, you know, and, you know, there was, it was all because of what we were doing, you know, and the interest people took in the band. Um, And, you know, I'm a huge Tommy Lee fan, you know, I think Tommy's amazing. So, you know, for us, it, it was just, it just happened, man. Nothing was calculated at all, ever. It was never pretentious about anything we've ever done. And I think that's what's worked for us, you know.
0: Yeah. I, well, I mean, I totally agree. And, you know, it, it, this will probably blow some of our younger listeners' minds, but there was a time that if you wanted to go see a band and have good seats, you had to stand in line, <laughs> you know, the day tickets went on sale. There, there was no such thing as the internet, right? I mean, <laughs> you, yeah. you you went to the box office the day, you know, Friday night, tickets typically went on sale Saturday morning. You went Friday night, you camped out, you stood in line to get your tickets at 9 a.m. Saturday morning. And, you know, I can honestly say there's only been three bands that I've ever done that for, and Tesla is one of them. And um, I ended up with really good seats to your all show. I think it was like, it was in September of 92. It was the psychotic supper tour. And I sat second row, center stage for that show. I think Firehouse was your all's uh, special guest on that tour. And it, mm-hmm. I, I just want to say, you know, of all the shows that I've been to in my life, that's still one of my favorites because it was just pure, good rock and roll. I mean, you guys at that point, I think we're hitting on just all cylinders and yeah. it was pretty amazing to be that close and getting to see you play from that distance um, it had a huge impact on me i mean i was still a teenager you know i was a high school kid that was still trying mm-hmm. to figure it all out and that was a huge seminal moment for me as a drummer
1: mhm yeah um, it's funny i remember that because that's a that's when i got sober um all of, you know early on and, um, yeah, that was, that was probably one of my favorite records too. psychotic supper. It, you know, it was just, I thought we were coming into our own there and the band was continuing, you know, the growth, of what was happening and maturing, you know, you, you, you look at those records, you know, Led Zeppelin and the Beatles, and you look at the early records and you see the the growth in the records and you're not just making the same record over and over again. Um, and we've always done that, um, but that was that was a good time and a good period. It was our first headlining tour because we did a co-headlining tour with Great White prior to that. So, yeah, good. Those were some strong memories for me as well, you know. Um, and I, you know, I've never been one to again uh, self-analyze myself and thinking i was i was i've never really been happy with a lot of my playing over the years and never want never you know i'd always see the shortcomings of everything where i was and as I do today I still work on a lot of stuff and play and do things but you know it's kept me motivated you know i mean i've since I've been up this morning I did a 90 minute interview with somebody i was on on, on some stuff I was working on I, i've already had two Pro Tools sessions opened and imported all my files from uh, the band sent me last night that we're going to put together for some, you know, some of those quarantine stuff. And I'll have them recorded today. Um, but, you, you know, I mean, I've been up since five, which is perfectly normal for me. Um, go to bed at, you know, 11 midnight. I've been doing this pretty much most of my life. Uh, that's how I operate. I'm, you know, I'm trying to figure things out. I've got my new studio built. I mean... I work, 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 work and love it. Uh, Still a student, you know, Um, still trying to figure it out. (laughs) Uh, But I'm in a pretty good place today, you know, Um, you know, with with where I am, you know, but, you know, it's a different day and age, you know, and hopefully we can continue to uh, keep this boat afloat and keep people interested and keep making good records and, you know, keep the interest.
0: Yeah. Well, and you know, I do want to touch on it at least briefly, you know, the, the most recent, uh, you know, Tesla record and you have other projects that you play with, you know, Dixie horsepower and and things like that. But the last Mm -hmm. Tesla record, it's been out just over a year now and it it was called shock and it was produced by Phil Collin of Def Leppard. And Mm -hmm. that was a bit of a departure for, for Tesla. I thought it was a little different, Um, but it was great, you know, so you guys are continuing to evolve, you know, and so I guess what I'm curious about is when you guys tour, you know, I saw you all in October in Louisville, you know, you came through, um, the fans, obviously they want to hear the, the old hits, right? I mean, that's what they, that's what they want to hear is that ever discouraging to you knowing that you're putting no. out records like shock that, that are different and off the beaten path? It, it, does it ever discourage you guys?
1: No, because you always have a song or two you play. We always play the hits. We, we try to cater. We can't play them all. Otherwise we would, it would just be, you know, the same set over and over and over again. So we try to reach in and mix it up and put some deeper tracks in and, and, you know, figure that out. Uh, But you have to play the hits, you know. We do. Yeah. Uh, Well, I I guess you don't. I don't know. We've always felt that. And, you know, with being on the road with Leopard, they have proved many things to us and we've learned a lot from them. Uh, With Phil being at the head of it, you know, yeah, it was a different record. It wasn't a Tussle record. It was a Phil Collins Tussle record. And uh, Phil produced, co-wrote, played, sang you know, he was the fifth Beatle on that record. So it was the record he wanted to make. Um, and if we were to do that again today with him, which I'm sure we won't, uh, because we've been there and done it, and there's no reason to do it again. Uh, I'm guessing, I could be wrong, who knows, <laughs> if we would ever do something. Again. I, but if, if if you know, if we went back in and did anything, it would be a lot different yeah, uh, because of what we learned from that. And what, you know, I think, you know, we, we let him make the record he wanted to make, and I think if everybody could have been engaged a bit more and, and and you know maybe kept it in more in the Tesla style, um I think there it would have probably served us better in certain areas um, but at the same time when we go play those songs live, it is Tesla so sure. you know but there's there's things lyrically that that were you know, that wasn't Jeff, you know, uh, and Jeff would in- admit that and say that, but went with the program, you know, um, and, you know, I mean, songs like Tastes Like, you know, I mean, that would, you know, that wouldn't be something Jeff would normally write.
0: Right, right. Absolutely
1: well, you know so, i just
0: i I had to ask the question j- just well, you know. good
1: no, it's perfect because i mean we got we got some there was some people that jumped right online and were not happy <laughs> uh, and you and you get a you get you're gonna have a handful of those guys. But, like, for me, it's no big deal. It's like, wait, hey, I got no problem. I think it was. Great. it's a great record. There's a lot of great stuff on there. Yes. Is it a Tesla record? Not exactly a Tesla record, but it's fair to say it's a Tesla Phil Collin record. Right. Or a Phil Collin Tesla record. <laughs> right. With us, you know, uh, responding um, and working. Um, and, that, and that's exactly what it was supposed to be. So for what it was, it's exactly what we wanted to do. We gave him complete control over the record to make the record he wanted to make. And what I love about the record, I mean, he did a fantastic, amazing job. I can't say enough amazing things about how he, how he showed up. And that's the bottom line and the commitment and the love for the band. So, yeah. uh, and it's equal and that's why there was equal respect. Uh, and that's why it's, those overtones and you know of him and Lappardish how he records and what he's used to which was fine you know yeah Um, so yeah no it's fair it's fair game and then you come out and then you know we go back in the studio we go over to Abbey Road and oh there's Tesla and we know who we are as a band you know and it's very clear very simple. Uh, so that part of it was easy for me. Maybe not quite as easy for some of the fans that want to jump back in and go, "Hey, what happened?" You know.
0: <laughs> well, you're always but, uh, gonna you're always gonna have that. You know. I mean, I, I, after you know, I mean, I had concerns after Bearsville Studio ceased operation. You know, I was like, "Oh my God, what's Tesla gonna do now?" <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just silly things yeah, that fans well, I mean, think about.
1: Comes, and then you. Yeah, and you think about after Bustinette, you know, coming back on the scene, we had Into the Now, which was a complete Tesla record, which I really think that's a great record. It is. Um, and uh, and it was very perfect for the times and just enough modern, and it was still us. And we rode, and we found that, you know, we rode that fine line, you know, and um, it worked. I thought that was perfect, and it was self-produced for the most part. It was us, you know, doing what we do. Um and, you know, who's to say where we'll go in the future, but, you know, we'll, we'll stay true to what we do. And, you know, hopefully we can get back out there and get through this stuff and get back, get people back in uh, playing some music, huh? Get back yeah, into yeah, doing some shows.
0: Yeah. No kidding. I mean, that, that can't come quick enough right now. It's, it's pretty crazy. Um, I, I want to switch gears just a little bit. Something that you've mentioned oh. a couple of times here is your sobriety. And, something that that I don't share or talk about a lot on the show is the fact that you know I stopped drinking two and a half years ago so I've got you know two and a half years of sobriety now and I know that that's a big part of who you are and you're doing all sorts of things not necessarily sobriety related but but things that are beyond the realm of of just Tesla or being a drummer like, for example, I want to talk about Troy Shows Up, and I want you to tell everybody what that's about because you have always been one of the first guys in the music business to say, Oh, you need something? I'm here. I'll do it. Um, you know, I think of the station nightclub fire and how Tesla was the first band you uh, specifically were like, Yep, we're there. We're, we'll help you raise money. But talk to us a little bit about Troy Shows Up and and just your attitude of always being willing to give back.
1: Uh, Well, it's an attitude of gratitude for sure. Uh, That's easy for me. Um, I've been sober coming up on 27 years the 4th of July, God willing. I make it. Um, So, uh, And I spent 90 minutes doing step work with somebody, so I am very active in sobriety uh, in the 12-step community. Um, that is my world I live in um, and I was asked uh, a year ago this last September so we'll be coming up on two years this September To I was asked to do, speak at a high school which was it turned into a middle school over in Derby, Kansas and I was asked to speak about drugs and talk to the kids so I said yes took on the Pepsi challenge, so to speak. Um, 30 days prior to me having to go do my presentation, I was like, wow, what did I sign up for? Um, and I got really focused on what I was going to do and very insecure at the same time. And I, I broke out, man, with my skin. was I, mean, I was a nervous. Like, wow, man, what am I doing? Can I do this? And so anyway, I put the program together. I showed up and I documented it. My whole program is show up. That you know and that's you go to troy dot net you'll see just show up well that's that's my m o for life and because of that, I showed up and documented it it it, it turned into TroyShowsUp.com, dot com which is me speaking in high schools and middle schools now and having a program and I'm still working behind the scenes I got a lot going on with that and um and and that's how it came to be um uh, I wasn't looking for this. I didn't set out to do it. It's it's kind of God's will for me and a purpose plan. It's a purpose-driven life for me, and that's what it's about. You know, you can have everything, as I did in Psychotic Supper. Um, prior to that, prior to me getting sober, you know, we were headlining arenas, actually, with Great White. And it was after that tour and after... A few things that happened that I ended up getting sober and headlining arenas and having everything and having nothing is, was my bottom, you know, um, and thank God a buddy of mine gave me a questionnaire, am I an addict? And I took it and I didn't know I had a problem. And then after looking at what addiction was and understanding it and realizing I had a problem, uh, it became something I had to deal with and um I jumped in and checked myself into a 30-day inpatient program. I didn't tell nobody about it. I called our manager, Cliff Bernstein. I told him. Nobody knew about it. I snuck away. Nine days later, we're playing Tokyo Dome with Metallica on New Year's. I went in November 21st, got out December 21st, 91. Going in 91-92, we're Tokyo Dome with Metallica, and uh it's New Year's, biggest party night of the year. And... Uh, Flew into Japan, I went to an English-speaking meeting. I went down and, uh, you know, did the gig, got out of the gig after my set, and I got out, and I just started my journey. And it was probably two and a half, three months later, I sat down and told the guys what was going on when we boarded the bus to actually start. I think it was Psychotic Supper Tour, was it? Yeah, that would have been the beginning of Psychotic Supper, 92 and um, I shared with the band what had taken place and there was still a lot of partying going on, you know at any rate, I had to figure it out for myself and start my journey and I did and I couldn't be happier today, looking back to think like, my goodness, wow I mean You know, that's a long time to be sober, looking back at it. (laughs) Right.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've (laughs) I've got two and a half years, and I look back and think, you know, gosh, that was years and years ago. I mean, it really wasn't, but it does seem like a long time ago when you're on that journey, as you say.
1: Well, it also seems like yesterday. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it's uh But I love sobriety. I love my life. I love where I'm at. I'm sitting here in my home studio. I got my two dogs just hanging. My wife's in the other room. You know, we're going to do a garden this week. And I'm going to probably record a half a dozen songs. um, And, you know, I'll record minimum of two today for the tesla thing i'll go down and i'll blow those out that's stuff we played so it won't be that big of a deal you know how just throw a camera up take a pass through they'll take that stuff and they'll put it out in the quarantine video <laughs> yeah right. you know? yeah uh so that's cool you know i'm like okay sure no problem you know, sent mid the tracks last night <clears throat> so anyway, any rate um it's an exciting place man exciting time you know um And I've taken the quarantine thing, for me, is just a a huge blessing, you know, having some time off, because we haven't had this kind of time off for uh, 20 years. We went back and put it all together. We've been on the road working ever since. So to have this hit at this time, it's a a blessing for me, and it's fast-forwarded a lot of things and given me time to really reflect and think about the things that are important and being on the road 24-7. It's like not something I really even care to do and stay in like we have. And maybe this will be a new conversation for us and the guys. Maybe everybody will feel like, hey, yeah, we want a tour. We'll go out and we'll do some stuff. But stay I don't want to stay on the road anymore like we have. I, I would like to do it differently. And maybe the, maybe the other guys might want to do it differently as well.
0: Yeah.
1: So we'll see how that plays out, you know.
0: Well, and, and, you know, not to uh, not to date anybody, but, you know, in our conversation that we had a couple of weeks back, you know, and I I don't think it had dawned on me, but you said, man, I'm 60 years old and, (laughs) you you know, as such a fan, I I guess I'm just always going to, you know, see Troy, you as, you know, that 25, 27 year old guy. That's, you know, in his new band, Tesla, it just, it had never dawned on me. um, You are still in, you know, immense physical condition. I mean, I just saw you guys in October and you haven't lost a single step. I mean, it's, it's pretty, well, it's pretty amazing, really.
1: Thank you. Um, uh, I work hard at it. I really do. And I made a statement um, on a Facebook post a while back, and 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 it was because of an interview I was doing. Like this, I, I made a, a comment on the interview. I said, "Yeah, I said, you know, when there's a twenty, if there's a twenty-two year old kid out there that could do my job better than me, then we got a problem." And I had posted it, and it, man, it just. Some people didn't respond to it <laughs> the way I the way I the way I meant it. You know? Yeah, it, it, it might have sounded arrogant. It wasn't. It was it was more about you know if there's a 22 year old kid that can kick my ass right now, then that tells me that I better get in there because I want to be the best guy for the job. Is my point. Right. Right. Um, that's all I really meant by it. But it, it got you know I end up have to take it down. Um, and and it's okay. It was a good lesson for me, you know, because I don't normally, and I even tried to put up a video saying what I meant, but it didn't come across and it got lost <laughs> in the shuffle. when people were like, what, does Tesla want to replace you with a 20, you know. It went to all these different places uh, and one guy posted like, I could freaking play circles around you. <laughs> I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> I didn't mean any of that and he's 50-something, right, and I don't have to be 20. And I'm like, okay, whatever. i, I this obviously got taken out of context. So, but but the truth of the matter is, is yes, I want to be able to perform. I want to be uh, in great shape. Uh, I work hard at it. I have to work hard at it. I don't work hard enough, to be honest with you. I should be working out and doing a lot more than I do. And I'm home. My wife's making bread now, so I'm like, well, oh, that bread's so good. Let me eat another <laughs> loaf of that. You know, not the best thing to do at my age, <laughs> but yeah um it's good stuff man yeah the band's in fairly good shape you know and i look at you know sammy hagger and steven tyler and some of these people and i mean there's nobody better so i'm like man maybe we can keep this up for a while you know
0: yeah well yeah i mean but guys like sammy and 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 steven and you know robin zander from cheap trick they're, they're freaks of nature They've never aged at all. I mean, Sammy still sounds the way he did 40 years ago. It's crazy that, you know, his voice has stayed as strong as it has. But, you know, I I just think that it's, you know, some bands that have been around for 30 plus years have lost a step. And I'm not trying to bash on anybody. That's not where I'm coming from at all. But Tesla, it doesn't seem like you guys have lost anything. I mean, it was, you know, the the show that I was at in October over in Louisville, you know, you guys came out, started with Coming At You Live, and it was as ferocious as it was in 1990. I mean, it was every bit as good. I think the
1: band's in the best
0: shape it's ever been in. I would agree. So,
1: uh that being said, you know, and we're still pushing the envelope. You seen my crazy kit, drum kit I had yeah. out there. Um, you know, I'm having fun, man. Uh, it's like, what, you got three bass drums up there, well, two of them are little up. I don't play them. They just got some lights in them and dig the vibe. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I'm not trying to be Alex Van Halen, but I. Oh, but at the same time. I am trying to be Alex Van Halen. I was sitting here watching YouTube with this video, uh, what is it, Drumeo, and they had there's this guy on there, and he breaks down the whole um, Hot for Teacher thing, and I watched it, and I was like, oh, my God, this is insane. It's really, really great. And then I'm watching, I'm finding a 13-year-old little girl playing the video. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. She freaking <laughs> smoked my ass right now. I'm like, really? I'm like, you know. Uh, and those people those people and those kids are out there man yeah so they don't have they don't have to be 22 they can be 13 you know um (laughs) you know i I don't mind humbling myself that way but i'm learning still and i still like to watch this stuff and see where i'm at and what i'm doing and what my interests are man i love drums man yeah if you uh you know, if you follow some of my posts, uh, you'll start. You're going to start to see a lot more from drumming out of me because I never posted a lot of stuff of me like you know taking the opportunities, warm ups, this, that. This is what I do. But I, I'm going to put a lot of stuff together. I got my studio. Um, you know, in in great shape. I got a couple kids set up. I got one set up. I've got percussion stuff set up. I mean, just as we sit here, I can jump right over. Well, my my little dog, I'm, she's right here by my percussion setup. She's so comfortable. I'm not going to do what I was just going to do. I was going to bust <laughs> out some stuff real quick. Um, but but she'll just run away. She's so comfy right now. I can't do it to her. so yeah,
0: it's all good. <laughs> but
1: well, I- my my point is, I can jump on anything at any time, anywhere in my house and play. Um, which is great. I got a whole percussion thing set up. I've got a small kit. I've got the larger kit set up for recording and and I'm going to take advantage of these things and really start to get some stuff out there and start sharing.
0: That's awesome. I don't think I've
1: done it. I don't think I've done it over the years because I thought, well, there's so many great guys. What do I have to share? You know? Um, that's how I've always felt anyway, but I feel different now. It's like, no, just go have a good time put some stuff out there. Don't take yourself that serious, man. Just, just get out there. People are interested, you know,
0: the, they are. And, and let me just say, you know, I mean, there's a running joke on this show that, that just a cursory search of YouTube and you can find, you know, a nine-year-old kid that can drum circles around anybody alive. They're out there for sure. But the the thing about you sharing that I think is so important is the, your approach to drumming has always spoken to me and and countless others because it's so musical. It's not a a chop fest, but it's very. How do I even describe your playing? Um, some of she your some of your <laughs> well, but some of your fills are so. They sound so technical, yet they're very, very musical, you know? I mean, things that Um, I just wouldn't have thought of.
1: That's huge for me. That's all I've ever wanted to do. That's the best compliment you can ever pay me because I'm not a chop guy. Um, Do I have a few? I got a couple, you know, but after a couple of those, I'm done. Um, But what I am is a musical drummer. I want to play music, and that's been my whole goal. And if you look at somebody like Jeff Peccaro, who was one of my heroes, um, you know, he, he, and then you got Steve Gabb on the other side who had all the chops and all of it. Um, and then you got Bonham. So my thing growing up was, well, you got I got Bonham and I got Procaro I'm going to go right down the middle of that road, and that's who I wanted to be. And I had the band to do it with. And I, in other words, I could I could play, but I didn't have to just bash. And I could add some dynamics, and we were a dynamic band, and we can add those subtleties into the group. So I've been able to do that. I mean, I was listening to Gino Vanelli, Brother Brothers, one of my favorite records, you know, when, when the band was out in 87, you know. I mean, I was listening to Brandon Fields with Greg Bissonette, you know. Yeah. Um, I wasn't listening to, I missed the whole 80s thing. I really did. Um, it's, it's not, I mean, I was just in a different place. Listening to a lot of 70s music, Motown. Um, Neil Diamond, (laughs) you know, singer-songwriter stuff. That's what I love to do, Um, and that's what I still love to do. And what I did with Keith Emerson and the orchestra, I mean, that was the best compliment I could have ever been paid when Teddy A. Mickelson, the, the conductor uh, for the orchestra, you know, he had called me and congratulated me on, on the record and what we had done together. And he said, the thing I love most about your playing, Troy, is the fact that I can mute the orchestra at any time. And I always know where I'm at in the song.
0: Oh, man, that's a huge compliment.
1: Yeah, and, I, and, and I'm like, wow, mission accomplished. That's really my goal. I I've, I've never come from a chop. I'm never coming from that end of it. You know, I don't think that way. I don't play music that way. And I still want to make sure that I don't lose that. But do I work on some chops here and there? Not so much chops, but I work on, practice uh, things that are beneficial to my playing. If I'm playing some Latin stuff or some swing jazz stuff, or and it's all behind the scenes closet stuff that I like to do um, because I'm not a jazz drummer and I'm not a Latin drummer, but I, but I have, you know, I have an understanding of some of those rhythms and, you know, I love David Garibaldi, huge, huge love his stuff. So he, the whole paradiddle thing from him and his book, you know, um, um, future sounds and I would just take a page or two out of those books I didn't go through the whole book I would take a page out, I mean you could take one page out of you know uh, stick control you know I, I don't need the whole I just give me those first Six, 13 hand patterns which is things that have been game changers take the quarters eight sixteenths and and then take the triplets and the dotted quarters and the half notes and such and have an understanding of what that is and you know and be able to count and play and you know but that's kind of where I come from I have basic I call it uh, basic back to basics 101 you know and that's my program you know yeah. that's who I am and what I do but there's enough information with all of that to be well rounded
0: you know. Well, you're certainly a well-rounded drummer. And, you know, I mean, I, I have said this to I don't know how many folks. I think that in the grand scheme of things, you are one of the most criminally underrated drummers um, of all time just because of the way the drumming sounds technical, but it's not technical. It's still very musical. And, you know, just one example that I'll throw out is the fill at the end of, you know, I guess the the solo in Love Song. You know, I, that's like a four-bar fill that's not hard to play, but yet it's really hard to play. You know what I'm talking about, right?
1: Well, yeah, it's, it's you know, those are signature fills that become, <clears throat> you know, part of the track. You know, you, you probably don't want to, you know, certain you know, those, 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 you know, I play it every night, you know, right. um, because it's a signature feel, you know, um, it happened that way, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's the Jack and Diane thing. You know?
0: <laughs> yes. You, you but know, it, It's uh, it's it, not, if you look at the sticking pattern, it's not hard to play, no, but, it, but, but it's, it's, Jack but it's and hard.
1: Diane, it's the same thing, but it's yeah, hard but to Jack play. And Diane, think about that. <laughs> how many people air drum? It's one of those moments where you air drum. Right. And that's what you want. That's what Phil called it when he came to record Shock with me. We we did that in a couple few days, like three and a half, four days of drums, him and I. Uh, we were doing three songs a day and uh, and he said to me, he says, hey man, I just want to be the, able to air drum the record. You know, in other <laughs> words, don't get fancy, just, you know, but you know, and I think that's always been who I am anyway. So, but I've always had some technical ability, but it's 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 riding that fine line, you know? And it's like, you know, having a double pedal. If I got a double, I mean, perfect example on, um, oh shoot, Flight to Nowhere. Yeah. Great radio controversy. I remember I put the double pedal on and I go, you know, that little intro. Yeah, to double pedal. Uh, and it's the only double pedal on the record I played that, and as I was working on that record, I remember because um, you know I remember putting the double pedal up after the first album, and I started messing around. the Next thing I know, I'm playing all this stuff that has nothing to do with the music. And I grabbed, I reached down, and I took it, through it and threw it. I got rid of it, and I'm like, I'm done with that thing. But I had that one little intro on Flight to Nowhere. Where I'm like, well, I don't. I think I better keep that part because that works, and it's it it just was clean and simple and it was not a big deal but it was it was part of the track you know so i did but you know i've always had a pretty good sense of balance between and when i would when i was studying and working on that side of my playing and pads and reading and and books and whatever i might be doing i'd stop all of that when i went into record and play and get back together with rehearsal and i found out that i had to separate myself so i could be in the music and and not into something else that had nothing to do with the music, if that makes
0: sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. It's just the mindset that you're taking into the studio. I mean, I think that's what you're getting at. Um, Troy, I want to be respectful of your time. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, One of our traditions here on the show, we always ask our guests for a good piece of advice for other musicians, other drummers. Um, You've had a legendary career, Uh, This one is one that I've been waiting for for a long, long time. Give us all a good piece of advice.
1: Well, I'll make a suggestion. (laughs) Advice I don't know. Um, You know, some of the suggestions are, you know, I mean, the, the, the truth of the matter is there's a place for all of us to uh, get what we need. Not everybody is going to have a successful career like me, but, you know, I mean, it's a lot of work. It's like, it's like playing a lottery, man. And we hit it, you know, I've been blessed and I don't, uh, but, you know, I've never been one to give up and I've always been one to dream. And I, I think, you know, keep the dream alive, you know, pursue those dreams, you know, it can happen to any one of us and we can achieve different things within those dreams. Like I said, there's a place for all of us. Maybe it doesn't turn out to be exactly what you thought it was, but maybe it turns out to be something better than you dropped off, you know? Um, and for me, my, the only goal and dream that I had when I was young was to be a good drummer. That's what was my, my, my goal in life. it's like, cause I've never believed I was. And then it was, then those dreams change. And then I went into, Oh, I want to, I want to make a record. That would be really great. But to have a career, I didn't see it all coming. It's just the byproduct of, but it started with the dream and I just followed that dream and, you know, and, and I, uh, and I went after it, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, well
1: I, keep the dream alive, you know, <laughs>
0: that's, man, that's, that's great advice. Um, and, and one final question, and I, I'm just curious, you know, Troy jr, your son, your daughter Skyler. which by the way, my daughter is Skyler as well. So you've got great taste in names. Um, <laughs> are Amen. either, are either of the kids into music at all?
1: My son plays drums, Troy.
0: Oh, okay. I did not know that. Uh,
1: yeah. And you could find him Troy jr uh on facebook and you know you can follow some of the stuff he's doing he's very talented and he's getting into producing and he's sending me stuff that's really really great right now and i'm like wow keep it up and he's done some work and we've been able to share the stage you know had him on a tesla tour with his band five against one doing some dates and um or um it was cool, you know. He was young, you know. I took him to Japan with me, you know, when I was with Eric Martin when he was 15, I think. So, yeah, he plays, and he, he's been exposed to this thing, but the good thing news is he's got a balance, you know. He's got a son. I got a grandson, and, you know, he's he's really a great dad, and, you know, it, this this is... Um, it doesn't always cater to families, you know. So My I was head. gone a lot, so he's there for his son, but he's still still chasing his dream, which I love, you know, he's not giving up on it. And again, perfect example. Maybe he wanted to do what I was doing, but now it's turned into something different for him. And, you know, it's, it's really exciting, you know, and he's living his dream.
0: That's so So, cool, man.
1: Yeah. But yes, it's the, it's the answer to the question.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Well, listen, man, and I, I mean this sincerely. This has just been an absolute honor for me to have you on the show. It goes without saying, anytime you want to do this, this is an open door. You're welcome on this show anytime. You've just been such a, a huge influence and inspiration to me for, you know, the better part of my, you know, 30 years of being a drummer. Um, you know, you were one of my earliest influences, so this has been a real treat for me. So I want to thank you again for doing this, but come back and talk to us sometime soon.
1: Absolutely, Jamie. I appreciate your time. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much, Troy. We'll talk to you real soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. All right, guys and girls, that is going to wrap up episode 102 of the Drum Shuffle. As always, I want to thank you sincerely for tuning in. We just simply can't do this show week in and week out without all of you tuning in uh, and, and listening to our show. The biggest thing you can do to help the drum shuffle is share a link with a friend. That is the number one thing you can do for us is share a link to the show with a friend that you think might like these interviews that we provide each and every week. It'll only take a couple of seconds, but if you know a drummer, a musician, text them www.thedrumshuffle.com and say, hey, check out this podcast. It's really cool if you're inclined to do so. We certainly appreciate it. We also ask you each and every week to hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you use to listen to The Drum Shuffle. That helps us tremendously. And we've got so many great interviews, uh, coming up over the next few weeks. I promise you're not going to want to miss those. So hit that subscribe button. Uh, again, our web address is the drumshuffle.com You can find more information on me over at jamieeds.com. And we do answer every single email that we get here. And that, uh, email address is the drum at gmail.com. Um, and, and just case in point, we've had some folks uh, email us and say, hey, have you ever thought about having X guest on the show? When we get those emails, we immediately reach out to whoever that suggestion is. And I'm happy to say that we've had uh, three or four different guests that were recommendations from you guys. So we want to hear what, who do you want to hear from send me an email, let me know, and I will do everything within my power to get that person on this show for a full-length interview. Again, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Stay safe, stay healthy, take care of your neighbors, model human decency, get a lot of good practice in while you have this opportunity, and let's all pray for normal. So until next time, may your head stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers, everybody.